0: All right. So, uh, welcome to the Around the Republic podcast. I'm your host, uh, Brian Nichols, and today I've uh, got another one of our great interview guests uh, to continue with the discussion on a post Trump uh, movement for the conservative movement and the libertarian movements going forward. Uh, you know him from Mediite, uh, featured radio host John Ziegler. John, thanks for joining. Uh, thanks for having me, Brian. I really do appreciate it. I know you're a busy guy, so um, you know I definitely do appreciate you taking some time to uh, to speak with, uh, speak with me today, and uh, you have a lot of insight in the uh, political atmosphere, um, you know with your experience. I know you did a really good uh, documentary back uh, after the '08 election. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, media malpractice, right? That's what it was called media malpractice uh, how Obama got elected. So uh, I know you you were pretty staunch defender there of uh, Sarah Palin, and uh, you really focused on in the documentary how the media was able to formulate a narrative uh, that was truly anti-Palin. They made her look like an idiot. Uh, I know you focused on you know the Tina Fey skit and SNL. Uh, the I forget that the host that you called out there on MSNBC, you know, saying how she said that uh, Sarah Palin said that Obama was a terrorist or supporter of the terrorists. Um, So looking at what you focused on in 08 with the media malpractice, let's fast forward to 2016. Did you see similar um, practices being done by the media to help either a prop up Hillary Clinton or B um, to utilize the Trump uh, wave essentially to get their ratings up and then to use that in turn to attack him?
1: There were a lot of similarities. Uh, And just to address the Sarah Palin issue on, you know, I was a very staunch defender of Sarah Palin for a couple of years after that election and kind of became an informal advisor and spokesperson and strongest media defender. But what ended up happening, and this is a, a very strange phenomenon that I have seen occur in other major news stories. Oftentimes people, and this is gonna sound Strange, but oftentimes people become the media narrative that they are made out to be. Uh, it, it's a very odd. Um, but uh, Sarah Palin in 2008 2009 was not the person the media made her out to be. Uh, I can understand why people believe that she became <laughs> absolutely, yeah. <laughs> uh, um, what the media made her out to be. But in a weird way, she needed to become what the media made her out to be in order to stay famous and get rich. And th- and to my credit, and I got a lot of heat for this, and this was not in my own self-interest, I separated myself from her uh, immediately after realizing that that's exactly what she was doing, which was selling her soul in order to stay famous and get rich. Uh, it didn't help me at all in any way, <laughs> way shape, or form. Uh, it it hurt me in a lot of ways. Uh, but for people who care about consistency and credibility, you can you can check it out for yourself. So, um, you know, so that's that's the thing on Sarah Palin. As far as two thousand sixteen is concerned, there are a lot of similarities between what happened with Donald Trump and what happened with Barack Obama. And I know that Trump supporters hate hearing that. <laughs> but uh, it was remarkably similar in both situations you had circumstances where the news media gave him unbelievably uh, positive and unprecedented access to their airwaves during the primaries when neither one was thought to have much of a chance of winning the nomination. But but both were very good for ratings and both were very good for the narrative. You have to remember, 2008, the media was bracing for an incredibly boring Hillary Clinton slog to the nomination until this bright new shiny object, Barack Obama came along. Yeah, absolutely. And in 2016, Trump was actually Obama on steroids with regard to the ratings and the interest and all the fun news that was being created on a daily basis. And somewhat similar to what Clinton's biggest mistake with Obama was, which was taking him too lightly until it was too late. The Republican, the real Republican candidates did the same thing with Trump. They all thought that Trump was going to implode on his own. Now, I did not believe that. Um, I wrote a column back in November of 2015 where i took on nate silver who was saying uh, that republicans shouldn't be freaking out about trump's poll numbers i said that's ridiculous you absolutely should be freaking about it freaking <laughs> out about his poll numbers because he might win the nomination and even if he doesn't he's he's absolutely going to destroy the process to the point where it's going to be very difficult for uh, us to win now i did not think he was going to win the general election and i think that's part of why the news media did what they did it was a when they thought it was a win-win-win for them. Right. And in, in, in some ways, it, it did turn out to be a win-win-win for them, except for the fact that Hillary didn't become president. I think they thought, hey, this is awesome for ratings. It makes our job incredibly easy. We don't have to do any reporting. We just got to sit back and watch and laugh <laughs> and and uh, reap in the rewards. And, oh, by the way, Hillary's going to get the easiest candidate to beat. And, you know, they philosophically, they they clearly want Hillary to win. What a lot of people um, don't understand about the media is that there are multiple agendas at work, and while the liberal agenda is still very clear in you know the vast majority of the major outlets, it's not always the one that wins the day. Right. the The one that wins the day is quite often. They'll take the ratings narrative over their own liberal agenda uh, at the drop of a hat because the number one goal of media big media people is to uh, there's two goals uh keep your cushy job and not have to work hard uh, th- those are the two things that are most important to them uh, pursuing the liberal agenda is usually third fourth or fifth on the list right depending on who they are and uh trump absolutely fulfilled the first two qualifications during the primaries and also during the general election. And I think during the general election, uh, I think the fact that the media was so certain that Trump was going to lose, and I was certain he was going to lose as well. Although, let's be clear, he lost the popular vote by 3 million votes. Exactly. (laughs) And he only got 40. And part of, you know, I've taken a lot of heat and understandably for saying Trump couldn't win. But you know, the the foundation of my uh, prediction that he couldn't win turned out to be true. Exactly, with, with the, the popular because, vote. Well, it wasn't just the popular vote. It's more specific than that. I kept saying, I because I mean, I'm a former pollster myself and I, I'm a numbers guy, there is no way he gets over 46% of the vote and there's no way Hillary gets less than 47% of the vote. And under those circumstances, in every other election in American history, that's you can't win right <laughs> but especially under the Electoral College circumstances of today well he pulled an inside straight that was unbelievably lucky that even the Trump people did not expect uh, you know, if, if less than 100,000 votes go in the other direction in Pennsylvania and Michigan and Wisconsin Hillary is president uh, and um, and she ends up winning by the way with 48% of the vote he gets 46% of the vote and loses it by three million votes. So there are only two states in which Trump pulled anything what I would call close to a miracle. One was in Florida, one was in Pennsylvania where he did get a significant uh, portion of the vote that was greater than what Mitt Romney had gotten against a much, much, much more difficult opponent in an incumbent president, Barack Obama, who people actually liked. Yep. rather than Hillary Clinton, who nobody liked. Uh, other than Pennsylvania and Florida, there's not a, a state of any significance where Trump did better than Romney, significantly better than Romney did, against a much more difficult opponent that Romney had. So um, anyway, the point of th- this is, that yeah, there are a lot of similarities between 2016 and 2008, including, by the way, the cult-like following oh, yeah. that Trump... That Trump uh, has that is really just you know mindless and the bill mitchell's of the world oh well there's it's even worse than bill mitchell by the way i had bill mitchell on my podcast a month or two ago and he hung up on me in the middle of the interview for no <laughs> reason the guy's a complete coward so um but they i i actually i didn't think i would see anything like Obama um and, and those people were mindless and it, it was a religion and obama was a god but I think this is worse, I mean, maybe I think it's worse because it's my own people or people who I thought mm-hmm. were my own people up mm-hmm. until this that are uh, are are in what I refer to as Colt 45, uh, since he's the 45th president, and you know it's kind of a takeoff on the old Billy D. Williams uh, Colt 45 commercials. Only mm-hmm. in this case, in this case, they'll believe him every time. Uh, and that's what they do. No matter what he says, no matter how ridiculous it is, no matter how contradictory it is, no matter how, how much of a lie it is, no matter how much how liberal it might be, they believe it. Yep. And, and part of the reason why they believe it, see, I, I think there are basically two types of people when it comes to Donald Trump. Do you see Donald Trump as the Wizard of Oz, or do you see Donald Trump as the guy behind the curtain who doesn't have a clue what's going on and he's just trying to uh, can you know pull off a scam? <laughs> uh, obviously, I'm in the latter category, but his his cult base thinks that he's the Wizard of Oz. Right. And the reason they think he's the Wizard of Oz is because he pulled off two miracles: one, he won the nomination, and two, he he killed the Wicked Witch uh, in Hillary Clinton. And That's so, an excellent so, analogy. I love that analogy. That's great. So, so for those two reasons, they will always think of him as the Wizard. It doesn't matter. It doesn't have to do anything else. <laughs> He's always going to be the wizard, even though he's really the old guy behind the curtain, without a clue <laughs> and without real powers. And he's not going to do anything real for you. He, he might give you a a, a um, you know a, a fake diploma to make you think that you um, are
0: smart, but it's actually from Trump University, and so therefore it's <laughs> meaningless. So I know, John, you you were pretty you know never Trump throughout the entire election cycle. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, you were a Scott Walker guy at first, then uh, Scott was out, then Marco Rubio, correct?
1: Wow, you, you paid pretty close attention, yeah. Uh,
0: for the record, I mean,
1: <clears throat> to me, and I think I was vindicated in this, although no one will accept this, accept this, I think in a weird way, Trump vindicated my view about Scott Walker, and that is I strongly believe that Scott Walker had the best map to winning. He was the conservative with the best map to win, uh, and if you look at the final map, yep. <laughs> tell me that's not the map that Scott Walker would have won with? Oh, absolutely. Uh, Wisconsin, uh, Michigan, Pennsylvania, and, and Pennsylvania, yep. and and uh, in Ohio and Florida. Um, and uh, you know, I, I will maintain that Scott Walker, if he had been the nominee, would have won exactly with that map. He would have won Iowa too. And um, and so, uh, you know, I never anticipated nor did what I wanted uh, Trump to win anyway uh, under any any map. But um, but that you know, the fact that Scott Walker was like the second or third guy out is really an indication of just how incredibly broken mm-hmm. the entire process is. Because oh, I know Scott Walker is not exciting. Um, but guess what? Uh, this is not intended to be a sexual uh, experience, folks. Um, the, and we're, we're picking uh, the leader of the free world. And uh, Scott Walker was qualified. He was conservative. He was tough as nails, as he's proven in Wisconsin. I think he would have made a great president. Uh, and Marco Rubio, you know, was the next choice, mainly because I thought he was also electable. Mm-hmm. And a conservative he's not uh, he certainly doesn't have the backbone that Scott Walker has but he also um, you know would have appealed to Hispanics a lot more than certainly Trump did and it's important to point out about Rubio and you know of course the Trump fans are so dumb <laughs> uh, I mean you know, could you please take a look at the Florida vote re- results and, and uh, explain to me um, how you know, cause, Because they'll tell you, oh, Rubio was so electable, how did Trump beat him in his own state of Florida? <laughs> uh, you morons, it's because that was a primary. Exactly. Uh, with multiple candidates. In a general election with only two candidates, look who got more votes in Florida. Mm-hmm. It was Marco Rubio. And in fact, you could argue, and this is one of the untold stories of this election, you could argue that Trump ended up winning the election on the coattails of two Republican senatorial candidates in Florida and Pennsylvania who were actually conservatives, mm-hmm. uh, who um, he would not have won those states without them. And both of them outperformed. Uh, Trump uh, was outperformed by both of them. By a great
0: margin, too. I'm sorry? By, by, a, by a big margin, too, he was outperformed by the, uh, the senatorial candidates.
1: Yes. And and again, against a very poor candidate in Hillary Clinton. So, uh, but I realize that these are facts and numbers and Trumpsters aren't very good at math. And they certainly don't like facts. So <laughs> I realize this is all very problematic.
0: So I know one thing that you, you stated before the election, I think it was like the week before, you said pretty much conservative values will die if Trump loses. Um because of the people basically selling their souls voting for Trump. Well, Trump won, which, you know, that's still we can argue how that happened. But um, Trump won, and now he is essentially the de facto face, and I'm using air quotes here, of the conservative movement, because obviously he's not a conservative. He's barely a Republican. He's, I mean, he is in essence the epitome of a rhino. I mean, he truly is a Republican in name only. Um, What do you look at right now? as the conservative landscape moving forward with Trump as the face of that movement? And how do you recapture what is true conservatism for those who have essentially, like you said, hashtag cult 45, um, that are in that mindset of Trumpism versus conservatism? Well, first of all, I'll have to take your word for it. uh,
1: That I said that if Trump loses, conservatism is is dead. Um, I I think I probably would have felt no matter what, uh, conservatism is dead. I just didn't really consider uh, that there was much of a chance that uh, that Trump would win. Um, my, my whole, just back up a second, maybe this will explain my answer. You know, I took a lot of heat because I actually thought that people in certain states should vote for Hitler, Hillary if they were conservative. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the reason why I felt this way was that I thought Trump needed to be Defeated soundly for conservatism to survive. Mm-hmm. I think maybe what you're maybe what you're referring to is that if he loses narrowly, yeah, uh, th- I thought that conservatism was dead because at that point he would remain a significant figure for years to come, and he would have changed everything. Even if he hadn't won, now that he's won, uh, I think conservatism is in even worse shape. Yep. <laughs> Um, uh, Because now I have no idea what we stand for. Uh, The only thing I think we I'm pretty sure we we stand for is anything uh, against anything that Nancy Pelosi says um, or maybe Chuck Schumer says and um, and. We are never to criticize Donald Trump. We can, we 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 will usually defend him. But some things we'll just say, you know what? I'm not going to comment on that. Or you know, that's troubling. <laughs> but um, but those seem to be the rule, the new rules of conservatism. Never attack Donald Trump. And if you do so, only do it for a day, and then forget about and then it and move on. Um, and and always criticize the media and Nancy Pelosi. Those, seems, those seem to be our two principles. Um, and, you know, I'm sorry. I That's not what I signed up for. That's not what I was interested in. And I'm his anti-media guy, and I can't stand Nancy Pelosi. That's what's so bizarre about <laughs> this to me. I mean, I, I'm the most anti-media guy in the world. And uh, and I think that these attacks uh, on the media are incredibly cynical, and they're not fact-based. See, I mean, I, I was once very close to Andrew Breitbart. Mm-hmm. And um, although we had a falling out before his death. And I think Andrew would be horrified by Trump's uh, war on the media. Because it's not fact-based, it's not substance-based, it's based solely in self-preservation. That's right. all it is. If it was fact-based, if Trump came out on a, you know a daily basis and said, all right, media, you got this wrong, this wrong, this wrong. Here's why you got it wrong, and here's, you know, and here's what really happened. I'd be great with that. That'd be phenomenal. But that's not what happens. He just now has created this fake news narrative because it's, you know, something he can tweet whenever he's criticized, and his cult will go, yeah. So, <laughs> um, and that's that's not helpful. It's not accurate. It's it's wrong. And- it hurts our discourse. Well, then I think it does that too but you know so as far as where conservatism is I I, I don't see how it survives out of this I, I, I someone can paint me a picture or, or or a path where any semblance of conservatism survives but I, I don't see it I mean hell you know it, it's about a 50/50 shot right now that with a Republican president Republican Congress and Republican Senate we're gonna end up passing a health care bill that <laughs> that uh, eight Nine years ago, Democrats would have been thrilled with. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, so um, it's it's not a repeal of Obamacare. It's a it's basically a um, you know remolding of Obamacare with Republicans now going to have to take the blame if it passes for everything <laughs> forever. How about how about that, the Republican Party now is going to own. Uh, largely government subsidized health care forever. So Democrats get, you know even if if it passes, most of what they want, and now none of the blame. Nice work, guys.
0: God bless. Um, and that actually leads to the main point of this uh, interview series I'm doing, and you focus on uh, I guess really values that we share as conservatives, as true Republicans, libertarians, uh, and even some moderates. I know you know there's the the old adage my, my 80% ally is not my 20% enemy. So how do you see coming from? I know you self-identify as like a conservatarian. Um, how do you see a path forward where libertarians, conservatives, Republicans, uh, you know the Never Trump moderate Republicans, or you know whatever the Never Trump Republicans want to identify as? How do we move forward with some unifying uh, movement that we can at least focus on those? 80% similarities versus the 20% uh, differences?
1: Oh, man. I know. That's so, a big one.
0: <laughs> I, I wish I had an answer to that. Um, look,
1: I mean, I realize that we live in a world where things can change incredibly fast. Um, I, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, to me, I see Trumpism as a cancer. Mm-hmm. And unless and until that cancer is completely removed, uh, there's there's no there's no healing it, but unfortunately, in, in removing that cancer, uh, and this is the big fear the Republican Party, has you would <clears throat> fracture the party so much that it would become a massive minority party, and <clears throat> you you know then you'd let Nancy Pelosi back in charge and whoever, whatever uh, Democratic candidate they can they can put forward. So, uh, you know then we're going to be screwed forever. So. I, I, I don't know what I, I honestly don't see a path because what I think we found out in 2016 is that there is no conservative coalition. There's no there, mm-hmm. there's it just doesn't exist. Uh, you know this this populist nationalist cult 45 thing uh, is really the only way <clears throat> now. I mean now that that cat is out of the bag, right? See see my big thing on trump all along has been the price we are going to pay in the long run is so enormous and 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 it's it's in things that people haven't even contemplated yet Mm -hmm. like for instance how the hell in the future do we ever nominate a remotely uh electable candidate (laughs) uh, uh, in in a in a in a presidential primary Mm -hmm. how does that happen because because now after you've had Trump, who, who's going to possibly get the the quote, quote unquote base excited? Uh, and 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 before you know, we successfully did this with McCain and Romney. Our side was able to you know the rational side was able to to make the electability argument. Well, you, you have to go with this guy because he's more electable by the way just because they lost doesn't mean they weren't the most electable folks yep i realize that that's a difficult concept for some people um but you know if you lose a football game it doesn't mean you would have won if you put in your third string quarterback (laughs) exactly um so the um so the problem now though becomes for at least a generation now uh, these nitwits are always going to say, fuck you with the, you know, electability argument. We, we went with Trump and look what happened with that. You told us Trump couldn't win. So, you know, um, you, you, what's wrong with Ted Nugent or, um, you know, or whoever, whatever, the rock. Yeah. You know, whoever else they might come up with um, to excite themselves. So I know, and, and, and by the way, the news media now, um you know the quote unquote conservative media which is now really the state run news media mm-hmm. is is their business model now is based upon someone exciting they uh, they're, they're going to go who up for whoever's the most exciting and the most you know most uh, ratings friendly yep that's what that's what they're going to do so it's hard to imagine at this
0: point a scenario where where we can change anything no absolutely and um you know one thing I, I'm looking forward now. i got to plug my, my own guy here a little bit. So uh, out in Missouri, uh, Austin Peterson is looking to run for um, you know, Senate. I know that's been explored, um, and I know there's a big announcement coming up July 4th. Um, now, prior to him doing all this stuff exploring Senate— uh, he um, was the number two candidate for the Libertarian Party, uh, came in second to what ultimately ended up being Gary Johnson. And prior to Gary Johnson getting, getting the nomination hi. for the LP... Hi! <laughs> um, my
1: daughter Grace has joined the interview, if that's welcome, okay. Grace.
0: Oh, absolutely. We always love having fun guests on. Um, my cat's sitting here right now half asleep, so I'm sure he'll wake up and he'll join as well. Um, so prior to you know uh, Gary winning the, the nomination for the LP there was a lot of never Trump Republicans looking for another answer. And I know Glenn Beck, I know uh, Eric Erickson, Liz Mayer, um, you, know, you go down the line of all these never Trump conservatives, they were looking to Austin Peterson as like, you know, their their only hope going forward to be able to cast the the vote for someone other than Donald Trump and still feel like their principles weren't destroyed. So, would, would you have looked at someone like an Austin Peterson as a viable alternative to what was Trumpism or, you know, the, the Clinton machine if that had indeed turned into an option? I don't know. I, I'm very skeptical of, you know, any
1: uh, outside, outside of the mainstream <laughs> candidates. I mean, the success is, is obviously horrendous mm-hmm. uh, in this country. I, 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 you know, maybe someday. I don't think we're we're there yet. I, I you know, it's quite possible that we could fragment into three or four different, you know, major parties at some point. Um
0: Um but excuse me. Grace,
1: what what did you want to say about Trump? I know you have some strong opinions. Grace is 5 years old and she's been struggling with the Trump question herself. What do you think of Trump? I uh, I think he's a bad guy. You think he's, he's a, a bad guy? A, why do you think he's a bad guy? Because he does because he always doesn't listen to people. He doesn't listen to people? Yeah, you, you, Grace, you used the term Trumpsters to me the other day. What's a Trumpster? I
0: don't know. You know what a
1: Trumpster is. What did you say a Trumpster is? You told me.
0: What's it, what,
1: what? You told me a Trumpster is a stupid person. That's what you told me. <laughs> that, that, that maybe you forgot, but... Okay, can I continue my conversation with Brian, Grace? But can can I talk to Brian? Well, real quick, say something to Brian. I have a book about Trump and me. Oh, that's actually true. Yeah. Um. There was a there's a book that was just written called uh, How Do I uh, Talk to My Kids About This? I think that's the title, Mm -hmm. which is a uh, a compilation of different essays about Donald Trump's election and what we tell our kids. And I wrote a column uh, about what I would tell Grace about Donald Trump. And Diana. And I have another daughter, Diana, too, who just got born. Oh, congratulations. So, so, um, yes, so Grace is is mentioned in that book about whether or not uh, we should still honor the truth in the era of Trump. And my conclusion was basically not.
0: (laughs) So, so basically, Grace Grace is a superstar now, essentially, you, is what you're saying, John. Grace, do you ever lie? No. Uh, of course not. I think sometimes you do. Come on, Daddy, what kind of question is that? Of course Grace doesn't lie.
1: <laughs> okay. So anyway, <laughs> so Brian, is there something else you want to, to you talk about? I, I, I think I can get Grace to uh, to cooperate here.
0: Yeah, uh, I mean, I guess going forward, um, you know, I, I love looking for – uh, individuals, both on the left and the right, that we can kind of come to some common al- like common ground and have rational conversations. So I guess we'll conclude with this one question: How do we, in the age of Trump, have rational, logical, emotionless conversations to actually find some way to move forward? <laughs> I know. <laughs> I, I I don't think that that's possible. I. I I it mean, he doesn't out.
1: allow it. Um, it, was, it wasn't it was possible really before Trump. Mm-hmm. But now after Trump, uh, I mean, Trump doesn't even accept what the basic realities of the world yeah, are. Yeah. Yep. So, I mean, if you don't accept what the what the basic facts are, you know, if, if you're using, quote unquote, alternative facts, <laughs> um, then you can't have a conversation. I mean, that that's the basics of any conversation. You have... You know, to use the book analogy, you know, it's hard to um, talk about a book when um, one person's reading it in English and the the other is reading it in a language that no one understands. Um, So so, um, that's really where we are. And I, I know I'm not known as an optimist, but I look, I I can usually see a scenario out of almost anything where there's a path. To survival, and I, I just don't see it. I, I I just don't see there has to be a a, a black swan event um, that that changes everything. And you know, for those who think, by the way, that Trump is going to be removed from office, or I, I just don't see that. I mean, Superman. I think he might I, I think he might get impeached if if uh, you know the Democrats take the House, but even then, I think he'll survive because they won't have enough votes in the Senate. And and I even think there's a I think there's a reasonable chance that an impeach Donald Trump wins re-election because the Democrats can't come up with a decent candidate. <laughs> and so, I mean, and then by the way, uh, you know, it would be hilarious to watch an, a guy who was impeached by the Democrats uh, use his second term to do everything the Democrats ever dreamed of doing but couldn't pull off themselves. Mm-hmm. So. Out. That's really, the, that to me is the ultimate way for this whole thing to end, is for, for an impeached Donald Trump to do a second term as a Hi. Democrat. <laughs> or Or what sweet me to your death, how about that? Yeah, there you go. Grace, <laughs> what do you think about that scenario? Do you think that's that's possible? Uh,
0: what's possible?
1: The, the, do you think an impeached Donald Trump could win re-election?
0: No. No,
1: okay. Yeah. Well, hopefully I, Grace. I think,
0: and, and you know what? I think Grace is right, but uh, we'll see. <laughs> Well, John, you know, thank you again for joining. Um, you know, really do appreciate your time. Um, and obviously it's going to be an interesting four years, to say the least. Um, but between now and then, let's uh, we'll have to do this again. I'm, I'm curious to see how things turn out after 2018's uh, midterms. And uh, hopefully we can reconvene. Thanks, Brian. Thanks yeah, I- for say goodbye. Bye. Bye. Grace. Thanks for joining us. All right. Take care. All right. Thanks, John. All right. This is Brian for the Around the Republic podcast, interviewing John Ziegler from Mediaite. Uh, We'll be uh, back next week. Until then, economic freedom, personal responsibility. See ya.